Hello, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us again. It's Jefferson White here, Jimmy Herdstrom on the Paramount Network's Yellowstone, joined, as always, by Jen Landon. Jen, how you doing? Thanks so much for being here. Thanks, Jeff. How you doing? I'm good. I mean, this, I got to say, I'm feeling, it's a pretty wild week in the Yellowstone universe here. So not only... In episode 508 of Yellowstone, in, in season five, episode eight of Yellowstone, we've got danger on the horizon, danger brewing, this seemingly intractable conflict between mm-hmm. uh, Jamie Dutton and Beth Dutton boiling over, seeming like it's coming to a head. It seems like it can only end <laughs> with uh, terrible, perhaps fatal consequences, not to mention in episode three of 1923, this absolutely shocking shootout this incredible action sequence really wild time exciting time to be a yellowstone fan uh so jeff what you're saying is the theme of today's episode is death it's going to be really cheery and later on we are going to be talking about the five most significant deaths on yellowstone and we're going to be doing that with our guest We have Lynette Rice, who's going to be joining us. She is a senior reporter at Deadline. She's a huge fan of the show. And Jeff, she's a New York Times bestselling author. Yeah, you've got your picks. I've got my picks. Lynette's got her picks. I'm extremely excited to dig into it, hash it out, get to the bottom of this right after this. Jon Stewart is back at The Daily Show, which means he's also back in our ears on The Daily Show Ears Edition podcast. Listen to The Daily Show Ears Edition wherever you get your podcasts. CBS Friday and streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Fire's coming to you! Don't miss TV's hottest show, Fire Country. This is a high-complexity rescue with a low chance of success. Follow the rules. Can you shave another day off your sentence? Critics call it explosive and pure entertainment. I'm a fella. I'm not fit to be anything else. You're not an inmate. You're a firefighter. Bring it on. Fire Country. New episode Friday, 9, 8 central on CBS and now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Okay, we're back. I'm super excited, as morbid as that sounds, to talk about death and all of the most significant and my favorite ones. Uh, And we are going to introduce you to our guest now. This is Lynette Rice, again, a senior reporter at Deadline, huge fan of the show. Hi, Lynette. Hello, hello. So great to be here. We're super excited to have you. I do want to ask, has Jefferson, have you ever asked her to do one episode fully as Teeter? I mean, she's not allowed to sound like Jen. She can only be Teeter. I've been begging her since the beginning. We did one, and then the producer called it incomprehensible, which I thought was a little little rude. I was going to say that actually notes came down the line that I was incomprehensible on this show, but not because of my enunciation, just because I yeah, tell stories be a- like that Sleep With Me podcast guy, which the whole point is they go nowhere. Yeah. That would be a classic episode. Lynette, we feel so lucky to have you with us today um, as an expert, all things, you know, entertainment and television. And I'm excited to see, you know, Jen and I are a little bit biased in our opinions about the show. So I'm excited for a little objective journalism. I'm excited for a, you know, a third party perspective and a little bit of, you know, rationality infused into this. 
Sure, I, I guess I could bring that. <laughs> yeah, objectivity. <laughs> I'll be objective about the way Kevin Costner looks, I promise. <laughs> so, so I can't help but notice, you know, we've been talking about Yellowstone. We've been talking about the whole Taylor Sheridan extended universe, 1883, 1923. You know, in the first episode of 1923, we hear a voiceover from Elsa Dutton who says that violence has always haunted the Dutton family. And we've witnessed that not just in the actions of Yellowstone, but also throughout the course of 1883 and now through the first few episodes of 1923. This family seems to constantly be under attack, to constantly have to resort to violence to protect you know, their history, their culture, their way of life. And so we, we've... We've witnessed the terrible ramifications of that haunting over five seasons of Yellowstone now. So I thought it might be fun to rank our top five deaths across Yellowstone, 1883, and 1923. So I'm going to get us started, and then I'm going to kick it to you, Lynette. My number five death is the death of Evelyn Dutton, John Dutton's wife, as depicted by Gretchen Maul in flashback in season one of Yellowstone. We're talking about Beth's mom, Casey's mom, the tragic formative loss that seems to have kicked off a lot of the uh, the struggle that John Dutton is now weighed down by. Not having this partner, you know, in 1883, we see a pair. In 1923, we see Helen Mirren and Harrison Ford, this pair, this couple fighting together against outside forces. John Dutton, it seems, is sort of sitting on the throne alone and and for want of a partner seems to be struggling to hold his family together. So for me, number five, that's Evelyn Dutton. What do you think, Lynette? Uh, I totally agree. I, I There's so much drama there left on the table, by the way, by killing her off. I want to see Gretchen Maul's mom with Beth. I mean, I feel like she'd be kind of shrewy. She would be like, oh, it would be it, it would be the kind of mother-daughter relationship we all live for in cinema. So it's too bad we don't have that. So, yeah, I totally agree. Um, my, uh, my five, can you guys remember that journalist who died in the first season? Yes. Why the hell did she have to die? Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, I guess this sets up the kind of, you know, poo head that, you know, uh, Jamie is, I think, because he was responsible for her death. I think that was the case. It seems so long ago, doesn't it? Uh, but I remember her death. It's like, dang, she's gone. Wow. This is this family. It's exactly right. Not only uh, Jamie killed her. So Jamie first sort of spilled his guts to her about all these 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 sordid details about the Dutton family's history. And then killed her. Yeah, the character's name is uh, Sarah Wynn, and the, the actress's name is Michaela Conlon. She was she was almost my number five pick. She got edged out slightly, I think probably by my number one pick. But my five, I can't talk about five without talking about four. So my five and four, guys, I'm breaking the rules. Uh, my five and four it, are Lee Dutton and Robert, Monica's brother. Because when Lee Dutton died, played by Dave Annabelle, I it was like the Sean Bean death in Game of Thrones where I knew that nobody was safe, that anybody at any moment could drop dead because they killed him off. And number four being Robert, Monica's brother, because, you know, now we have this like Romeo and Juliet kind of thing. So those are my five and four. Yeah, it's very Romeo and Juliet, mm-hmm. right? Because Robert Long kills Lee, yep. and then Casey kills Robert Long. 
uh, which really does, you know, it, it sets off the, the conflict of all of season one. Season one is so much this kind of three-headed conflict between Rainwater, John Dutton, and Dan Jenkins. These these people who later manage to find common ground, but it takes them a while with such a, a rocky start. That's a great one. So for me, number four, uh, really mostly uh, so high on the list because of its uh, how exciting and fun a sequence it was. Rourke with the <sighs> rattlesnake. Yeah, rip in the river with the rattlesnake, yes. you know? If we're playing Clue here, uh, I found that incredibly satisfying. Rourke was so uh, expertly played as a smug asshole, interloping, getting in far over his head, and then uh, paying the ultimate price for it. I love that sequence. Very Kill Bill. You forgot to say hot. He was very hot. Very. Sorry, very hot, gentlemen. Very hot. Very attractive. Rourke was not on my top five, Jeff, but I have a star on my notes. I made my own section called Favorite Death. (laughs) Um, which like by the way I have more than one but uh, that was my favorite death Uh, I remember reading that in the script and being like yes Uh, my four uh, I'm gonna say um, Casey and Monica's baby why I why did they do that I mean, I, I, it's, it's set up such an incredible season for Kelsey. I mean, God, she's just been so depressed. And it, she's obviously done some of her best work on the show and uh, really brought out another dimension of her character, of which I think was lacking. Um, um, but that still was kind of a whammy. It's like, wow, what a thing to put on that little kid and then to put her through. Um, and it involved, it was, a, was it a buffalo that it was involved with? It was a buffalo, right? Yeah. Bad news, man. Yeah, the classic beginnings and endings, you know? So season five, episode one, John Dutton is elected governor. It's this moment of perhaps triumph. And then the the tragic loss of uh, of Casey's son, also named John. Um, so for me, number three, and perhaps there's a little bit of Jimmy bias here, it's Fred. It's Fred from season one. The first guy we saw taken to the train station. Mm-hmm. For those who, who may not remember, Fred was the uh, massive galoot expertly played by Luke Peckinpah who just beats the shit out of Jimmy. Mm. And then we see this incredibly satisfying immediate revenge as Rip and Lloyd come to Jimmy's aid and really uh, punish him on the spot. It's when we first hear Rip's iconic line, there's no fighting on this ranch. If you want to fight, you come fight me. I'll fight you all goddamn day. So, uh, you know, Fred makes the terrible mistake of beating up a branded man. And, you know, it's it's uh, we learn a lot from this sequence. We learn the consequences of beating up a branded man. We learn the consequences of fighting on the ranch. And also Fred is the first character we see taken to the train station, which will obviously be a recurring theme, no doubt, throughout the rest of our lists. Jeff, when I was searching the internet for all the people who had died on Yellowstone because I forgot. I was surprised that an inordinate amount had to do with you. And I always think of Jimmy as this like sweet, peaceful guy, but maybe Jimmy is the villain because there were like seven deaths related to you more than any other character perhaps on the Seven? Show. Like in really? something crazy. I was like, God, Jimmy just, if you go around him, you die. Listen, to be fair, I think Casey kills seven people in the first three episodes <laughs> okay, of Yellowstone. They didn't so, make the list. <laughs> so, and Jimmy, listen, Jimmy, Jimmy only participates in a, Jimmy is, Jimmy is perhaps also 
haunted by violence, haunted mm. by tragedy. He's had a very hard life. This the mid season finale when we saw you, um, Jefferson, uh, in your new settings. To me, you look like a completely different guy, especially in comparison to that first season. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. Nothing's changed about you. They changed your look, but you seem so different to me. Like, you know, you've come into your own. You're Mr. True Cowboy. You know, you have the beautiful woman. I mean, Lynette, listen, um, I was already a fan of your work. We knew we knew that you had a sort of clear eyed, incisive style of journalism and reporting on the ground but this is really demonstrating your ability to cut through the bullshit and get straight to the facts of the matter now thank you thank you very much for saying that Lynette and now I'm going to turn it back on you your number three death Yellowstone number three death who is it okay I didn't love that well no I take that back it was very interesting that we met Jamie's true dad um Mm -hmm. I I, I didn't love the character because he felt like a nuisance, but I also still don't understand why Jamie killed him because it's still his real dad, even though he was kind of a Budinsky. Um, um, I, I was shocked that um, Garrett, you know, obviously played by Will Patton, met his maker. Uh, that was kind of a shocker because he, he was the only dude left in Jamie's corner, really. Yeah, it was brutal. It really felt like uh, about as Machiavellian as Beth has ever been. You know, Beth has hated Jamie for most of their lives, certainly their whole adult lives, and forcing him to kill his own father, sort of building this puzzle box, the only way out of which was killing his own father, is perhaps as, uh, as evil as Beth has ever been. Granted, the argument can be made that Garrett Randall himself was an evil man. He orchestrated the attempted hit on Beth, Casey, John Dutton. So it's a it's a complicated thing. And Taylor loves to write these characters that aren't just bad guys or good guys. They have redeeming qualities. Garrett, for how sort of uh, evil he himself was, also showed Jamie kindness in a way perhaps no other character has. And Beth, for how much we love her sometimes, putting Jamie in the position of having to shoot his own father in the head. As you said, the only person that was in his corner. That's about as evil as we've seen Beth be as well. Jen, I'm really excited to dig into it and hear about your number three. But before we do, let's go to a quick break. Friday and streaming on Paramount Plus. Cal Fire's coming to you! Don't miss TV's hottest show, Fire Country. This is a high-complexity rescue with a low chance of success. Follow the rules, then you shave another day off your sentence. Critics call it explosive and pure entertainment. I'm a fella. I'm not fit to be anything else. You're not an inmate. You're a firefighter. Bring it on. Fire Country. New episode Friday, 9, 8 central on CBS and now streaming on Paramount Plus. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Auto Parts.
All right, so we're on our number three death. Uh, Lynette, I my number three pick is the same as your number three pick, which, of course, is Garrett Randall, played by Will Patton, Jamie's dad. Uh, not just because I'm obsessed with Will Patton as an actor, uh, be- but because I think that having to kill your own father crosses a line of which you do not come back from. Uh Beth, by doing this, I think it's a monster of her own creation. Him having to cross that line has created a person that will cross any line, and I think it's going to be, and obviously is looking like it already, the biggest threat to Beth and John. I think what's most significant about this death, and God, it really speaks to Taylor's thinking and obviously how he's thinking ahead, that death gave Beth the first introduction to the train station. She followed Mm. uh, Jamie. She took that picture, which ultimately she uses as a tool in the mid-season finale um, as a way to, you know, blackmail him into doing what he does. But there, there's some people who think that how would she not know about the train station until now? But I can see how she would know about the train station, right? Yeah, it makes sense to me. Jeff, go ahead. I think it's it's plausible deniability. You know, I think mm-hmm. John has different soldiers for different tasks. He he asks Rip to take people to the train station. He asks Lloyd. He asks Casey. I think Beth handles a completely different side of the operation. And I think that, if anything, it's smart leadership to keep those halves distinct. Um, and there's also, I, yeah. I remember very specifically, there's some stuff between Rip and Beth where Beth asks Rip to tell her where he's been and he says, don't ask me that. That's like the one thing I can't tell you. That's the one thing mm-hmm. I can't share with you. You know, they, they, they have, they are both soldiers for John, but in different arenas. Yeah, it feels very much to me like both of those men protecting Beth is, is a top priority. And so to expose her to that in any way is dangerous or deadly. And I don't, I don't want to get I don't want to get too much in the weeds here, by the way. But uh, train station is that a cowboy state uh, saying? Have you guys heard that before? I mean, why take to the strength train station? Why not like take to the morgue, take to the fridge? Do you know if like where he came up with train station of all places? Is that a saying, Jeff? Do you? I, I don't think it's. Do I think it's notice? an invention. I think it's yeah. an invention of the lore of this world. Mm-hmm. So really? of, of of Taylor's world here, and I think what's fun about it too is it also has a kind of intergenerational totally. linguistic flair it's clever it's very clever yeah because we don't know when people started doing this we don't know when the first time somebody went to the train station was yeah like you can right. also like you can say the train station like while you're you know take them to the train station while you're like sitting in a coffee shop you know maybe getting your nails done but you can't be like take them to the morgue you know right in the middle of a pedicure yeah it's it's, it's code yeah it's, it's total code, code. Yeah, and it leads okay. to this nice open secret because Beth probably would have heard somebody say, oh, take them to the train station and not necessarily understood what that meant. There's this there very chilling go. sequence in season one, I think, when Walker is in the back of Rip's truck and Casey says to Walker, hey, wait a second, where are you guys going? And Walker says, oh, he's going to take me to the train station because he doesn't know mm. what that implies. You know, it, it leads to, it's it's a sort of almost mafia-like secret mm-hmm. vocabulary for those in the know. We're going to go to the it's beach. It's very sa- dramatically satisfying. We're just, exactly. going to the, we're just going to the beach, kid. Uh, that intergenerational thing, Jeff, like I thought it was, I was thinking about how, you know, 
at a certain time when you board the train to go somewhere else, like you're not coming back because it's an incredibly long, arduous journey or whatever. Uh, But I wonder if Taylor is going to pay that off in a literal way. I don't think he is, but I wonder if there will be a very literal moment in which we see a body earlier kind of go to the train station in a different way. It actually is put on a train. I don't imagine that happening. Mm, Yeah. Oh, well, didn't we get the origin of the train station when we saw the flash? Was that so the 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 kid that young Rip beat up? Do you think that was the first body to the train station or was the train station already established before that? It seems to me to be implied that it was already established before that and that Rowdy being taken, Rowdy's body being taken to the train station was another entry. So it seems like, you know, young Lloyd who who takes that body to the train station was already familiar with that practice. I'm excited to see if 1923 is the one that uh, like introduces that concept because now that we've got this range war erupting in 1923, yeah. maybe for the first time there's some, you know, <laughs> conflict about the cowboy way of life versus this modern, you know, proper appropriate avenue of justice. I'm excited to see if 1923 gives us our first trip to the train station. Jeff, do you want to do you want to give us your number two? Well, my number two's got a bit of a Jimmy um, bias to it as well. So uh, Jimmy's old life kind of comes back to haunt him, particularly in uh, seasons season two, mostly. You know, so so season two is a violent season for Jimmy. He's uh, confronted by some of his old associates who end up beating his grandfather to death. So his his last living relative is his grandfather, Dirk Herdstrom, who in the pilot episode of Yellowstone asks John Dutton, hey, will you take my good-for-nothing grandson onto the ranch? Will you set him straight? So for Jimmy, I think the death of Dirk Herdstrom, his grandfather, represents the last sort of tether to his old life and his old identity. And in some ways represents this kind of rebirth you know rip says to jimmy i'm going to show you how to take care of problems so they don't become bigger problems it feels like um those the and then you know the subsequent jimmy and rip and the the gang exploding the meth house trailer killing jimmy's old associates there's a series of very violent deaths that seem to me formative for this new Jimmy, the Jimmy that we we know now. You know, he has this kind of rebirth away from his old associates and his old way of life. So for me, number two, it's Dirk Herdstrom and it's uh, Jimmy's old associates, the uh, the drug dealers. What do you think, Lynette? Uh, my number two is, is going to be Jen's. I think it was her four or five. Um, it's Dave Annabelle. I think her, um, her comparison to Sean Bean in Game of Thrones was apt because... Uh, Sean Bean's character at the time, he was the moral center of Game of Thrones, and he went away. And Lee Dutton represented all that is good about the rancher's life. There was nothing bad about this kid. He was just a good, hard worker, and he loved his family, and he loved his land. And they killed him. So uh, it, it, that was sad to see. And I also really liked Dave Annabelle. I was a huge Brothers and Sisters fan. Mm-hmm. I loved him on that show, so it was, it was sad to say goodbye. You know, I can't help, Lynette, but draw some parallels between the death of Lee Dutton and the death of John Dutton Sr. in 1923 as a result of this big shootout. So, you know, you mentioned Dave Annabelle. The the performance that was robbed from us 
by the death of Lee Dutton. I feel the same way about James Badge Dale, totally. who plays uh, John Dutton Sr., because James is an incredible actor, one of his generation's best character actors. Um, and I was really excited to see, uh, you know, many more episodes. And a similar situation. We're talking about the sort of oldest son, the heir apparent, the steadfast, you know, steadfast kind of moral center perhaps the inheritor of their respective father's work ethic and sort of simple uh, kind of sense of justice. So it really, it does feel like both of the, the deaths of both those characters, Lee Dutton in Yellowstone and John Dutton Sr. in uh, 1923, feel like they're very formative. And I'm really curious to see the ramifications uh, of, of that death in 1923, you know? So the death of John Dutton Sr. also brings to mind the sort of ominous prophecy that we hear at the beginning of 1923. Jen, will you dig into that a little bit? Will you, will you break that down? I mean, I don't know if I'm going to break it down, but I can tell you my, my fear, the fear that it has sparked in me, which is that I believe that what Elsa says is that on, she says only one of them, of her two brothers, only one of them will see their children grow to be adults themselves, right? So here we have John Dutton Sr., right? He is killed. We have Jack Dutton, his son, right? Who I consider to be grown. So that leads me to believe that Spencer Dutton is not safe because she says only one of them will live to see theirs grown, their own children grow, which leads me to believe that while Spencer is alive now, and while Spencer may have children, there's a good chance if the prophecy holds or the storytelling is, you know, the it tracks across that he will die before his own child becomes an adult. Right? Mm. You know what I mean? Wow, that's a grim. Isn't yeah, that what I she mean, says? Does she say only one of them will live to see their own children? She yeah, says it's... she's only one of them will live to see theirs grown or something like that. Sorry, that's my really bad. Yeah. I wonder, an and, and you got to wonder you know, where we leave Spencer. We've seen Spencer sort of mm-hmm. fight his way through hell in World War, not only in World War One, but now he's sort of being haunted by violence across all of Africa, it seems, sort of chasing his own death. You know, he's either being haunted by violence or he's haunting violence because it really seems like he's pursuing death in some way. Yeah, and there's that great line that... Um that Kara says, Helen Mirren's character, character, I just always want to be like Helen. I just want to connect to Helen Mirren as much as I can. That she says at the end Helen. in a Helen letter, she says in an ad to, to, a, to a letter to Spencer, she, she says something along the lines of, um, I don't know what war it is you're fighting inside, or you know, but you need to, you need to put that aside and come back home and fight this one. And well, that was his war, his war days, right? He's still carrying the the heaviness of yes, the war. The, that there is a PTSD um, storyline, I think. In that yeah, for sure. I thought that that was some ballsy writing by Taylor because I when when I first heard her, uh, Elsa say that, I was a bit confused and I had to stop and look at every you know detail available about what this new show was setting up and who's related to who. I got confused at first, but and now it's all very clear. He was obviously talking about um, James Badge Dale's death. I I. I I don't want to believe that Spencer dies because I really like that character and I want to see where that marriage goes. Um, he could uh, die very late. 
He could. He could die. It takes his, like yeah, let's say life. it takes twenty years for a kid to grow up. Let's or eighteen. I mean, years. we got it. We got to carry on the Dutton seed somehow. So obviously somebody has to live. No, they don't because be you could have a kid, right? You can have a kid. You she right. they just. I think that. I think it was that you just don't see him grow up. So correct. You know, up till eighteen. You know, we can wherever that we limit that. hits. Well, this is so exciting, and it's what you guys described earlier, is this feeling that nobody's safe. Mm -mm. I think that's an atmosphere that Taylor has really expertly crafted on 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 1883 and on 1923, this feeling that these beloved characters are never safe. So going into every gunfight, I find myself, you know, breathless trying to track what's happening. And that when, when... our man shows up in the car with the Tommy gun. That was such a sort of frightening image. You know, the image of that modernity, just like all these guys, it it feels like it's, you know, it's decades. It's like the future showing up Mm -hmm. in the middle of Montana with a Tommy gun to say, you know, sit down. (laughs) Yeah. And there's that moment earlier in the episode, which like, was very satisfying on a light version of that when the family is walking down the street and they talk about the washing machine, you know, that there's, and they talk about those things coming in. And I don't know when he, when he got out of that car with, you know, I don't know enough about guns, but I'm going to call that like an automatic weapon. Basically suddenly the car and that weapon, it felt so deeply unfair. The fight no longer felt like a fight. And I couldn't help but think about you know, how Native American tribes felt when settlers showed up with guns, when, you know, when they, when they had bows and arrows. Yeah, it seems to represent, intergenerationally, the Duttons are often outmatched by technology, by these sort of, like, legal maneuvers. It feels like so much of what Market Equities is doing is trying to make the parameters of their fight unfair. They're trying mm. to do whatever they can to sort of bring, you know, the coercive American legal system to bear against the Duttons. They're sort of trying to, they they can't win the fight by the Duttons rules. So they're trying to shift the parameters of the fight. And it really feels like that's what Bronner does in that moment is he says, okay, uh, we can't fight your way. I'm going to fight my way. I'm going to, you know, hit you with a car Mm. and shoot you 40 times with a machine gun. I thought it was such a bitchin' prop. It was very much uh, like an Indiana Jones moment. Remember that from the first movie where he pulls out the gun when, you know, they're wielding the knives with him and he just pulls out like, shut up. Um, I I got giddy when I saw the prop. It was, now, I don't know where a sheep herder is going to get a Tommy gun, but whatever. Details. Details. I thought it was, it was pretty great. The the choreography in that whole fight sequence, I just have to say, was so breathtaking moment to moment. I have this reaction when I watch things that are like, violence that is beautifully uh, uh, choreographed. I, I like start crying even though I don't feel sad. And I that happened during this fight sequence, even down to like the detail of the entire family being on one side of that fallen log and then going to the other side and just like holding on for this narrow margin of potential safety. Jen, you've, it sounds like you've got a lot of insight about Lynette's number two. I've yet to hear a number two from you. So let's go to a break really quick. And then when we come back, you're on the hook. (laughs) 
Okay, Jen, I'm dying to hear. I get it. Dying to hear what your number two is. <laughs> okay, listen, my number two, while not technically a death, it, you know, or in the literal sense that we've been, you know, addressing things, uh, it feels to me like a death of a dream, a death of a possibility, a death of, and I, and I think that, you know, this feels like a death for a lot of women, which is Beth's hysterectomy. And suddenly yes. she cannot have, she cannot have children. Um, and uh, people I know who have been told they cannot have kids, it feels very much like a death. Uh, so that is my number two because I cannot think about who Beth is without that loss sort of interwoven into the animal that she is. So that's my number two, Cheery. Excellent selection. And I remember, I mean, the, the reveal on that was so huge. And I immediately went to the internet to look up the history of these clinics on the reservation. Mm. And it, th- that whole story is steeped in reality, which was even more depressing. Yep. Uh, that one really hung on to me. Okay. Are we at number one? Are we going to talk about number one deaths? I'm ready. I'll go because mine's not, I'll just lead. Here, we'll go around this way again. Okay, so my number one death, uh, though I do kind of want to change it, my number one death is Evelyn Dutton because I think the ultimate wound is the mother wound. It's a really good one, Jen. I mean, the Evelyn stuff is really, I, I don't think it can be overstated how how much the, you know, it, it feels like this generation of Duttons, their grip on this ranch is more precarious than it's ever been. We see it sort of slipping out of their fingers from the very beginning, the ranch is in crisis. And, and John Dutton bemoans over and over again, God, if my wife could see how poorly I've done holding our family together, if my wife could see the mess I've made of things, it really feels like he's missing this anchor. He feels in, in some ways like a sort of cursed or haunted kind of empty man from from the very beginning of the show. And it really feels like, you know, the the loss of Evelyn also heavily informs the relationship between Beth and John, which is one of the critical relationships of the show. Beth's loyalty to John, so much of what she does, this kind of destructive spree that she's on is in John's name, in part because I think, I think you, like you said, she doesn't have this mother. She feels as though she has so much responsibility to her father especially because she feels responsible for Evelyn's death. You know, we saw in that tragic flashback, Beth feels responsible for Evelyn's death, and she will go to the ends of the earth and sort of, you know, spite it all, cut it all down to try to redeem, you know, what she feels she's responsible for. It's really, it's very tragic. Yeah, as you were talking, I was just thinking about young Rip all of a sudden, and of course, and, you know, young Beth and young Jamie, and how there's a lot of these characters as children feel deeply responsible for, you know, for deaths of individuals or for, you know, Jamie, the hysterectomy of Beth, that it's just a tremendous amount of shame to carry into adulthood. Yeah, they grew up way too fast. All right, I'm going to, I'm, my number one uh, is all the deaths at the end of 1883. Mm. 
Yeah, I have to agree. I mean, I think my, my number one is similarly, yeah, all these Duttons that have come before, mm-hmm. you know? By the time we get to the action of Yellowstone, it feels like Kevin Costner, John Dutton, mm-hmm. is dragging behind the terrible weight of his ancestors. It feels like he's got all of these skeletons almost shackled to him that he's he's trying so hard to drag them along with him into the future and I can't help but feel like it's futile, you know? I can't help but feel like it's a doomed enterprise. This list, this is what makes TV so great. I mean, this is why showrunners should never listen to fans because fans will always want to keep everybody alive. But there's no conflict there. There's no drama. And if you think back at the best television of your life, it's the one, you think about those great deaths. My One of my all-time favorites is when Josh Charles was killed off on The Good Wife. Mm-hmm. I still remember it. I still watch it today and it, it, it kills me. And so, I mean, as, as sad as it is to say goodbye to these characters, you need this to keep the show fresh and interesting and getting us to talk about this and do lists like these. It's, it's great stuff. Yeah. Hey, Jeff, uh, since I know that you, you love death so much and you were sad to be limited to five significant ones, can we just get into some of your, your top five faves? Because they're... Yeah, actually, I made a list of 35, 35? so we're going to okay. start at number 35. Here we it. go. No, I'm just kidding. I, I think of myself as a bit of a Yellowstone historian, so I just want to run down some of the uh, exciting deaths, you know, exciting, defining deaths from the history of the show. So Dan Jenkins. Oh, yeah. Pour one out for Dan Jenkins. Dan Jenkins, that was a bit, for me, of a, a moment of, oh, how do we go back from this? Because he had been such a sort of formative, important character in the first two seasons of the show. It felt like he finally saw the light towards the end of his life. Yeah. You know, he he finally understood that, you know, Kevin Costner, John Dutton was maybe right. Mm. You know, he he uh he maybe sided with John Dutton against the Beck brothers uh right at the end of his life, but that also cost him his life. Speaking of the Beck brothers, oh man. Mm. Absolute scumbags. Very sad as far as, you know, satisfying deaths go, I would say the the deaths of the Beck brothers really uh Really got me going. Really got me me buzzing. Well, actually, if, if you want to get into 1883, um, and I didn't realize this until recently when I was reminded of it, you know, Don Oliveri, who plays the vixen, who's like pulling in uh, Jamie right now, she played Claire Dutton. Remember that whole sequence where her daughters died and she decides it's not worth living and she ends up staying there by his grave? Oh, that was yeah. brutal. That was freaking brutal. Totally. Uh, so yeah, that's that that's up there. You can pour one out for her too. Yeah, the past was bad. Overwhelmingly, as I'm watching 1883 and 1923, I'm reminded that the the past, pretty rough time to be alive. Yeah, not so good. Guys, as we've been exploring uh, throughout this entire episode, all things must end. All palaces are temporary palaces. This too shall pass. Um, and this unfortunately brings us to the conclusion of this episode. So I'm so, so grateful for you out there listening to us. Uh, Lynette, I'm so grateful that you joined us. Thank you for bringing your perspective to all of this. Uh, what, what a joy. Yeah, thank you. Oh, thank you so much. And I really hope that you end this episode with Jen as Teeter saying, you know, sending Jimmy to the train station. Do you think you could do that? Do a Teeter like... A teeter I ain't gonna send off. I ain't gonna send Jimmy to the fucking train station. Fuck that shit. <laughs> <laughs> there it is. 
<laughs> Lynette, I've been begging her to do that for months. I've been begging her to do the voice for months, and all you had to do was ask. I blacked out. What happened? <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so, so much for joining us. We'll see you real soon. Bye. Don't forget to subscribe to the official Yellowstone podcast, and you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. The official Yellowstone podcast is a production of 101 Studios and Paramount. This episode was produced by Scott Stone. Brandon Getchis is the head of audio for 101 Studios. Steve Razis is the executive vice president of the Paramount Global Podcast Group. Special thanks to Megan Marcus, Jeremy Westfall, Ainsley Rosito, Andrew Sarnow, Jason Reed, and Whitney Baxter from Paramount. And, of course, David Glasser, David Huckin, and Michelle Newman from 101 Studios. CBS Friday and streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Fire's coming to you! Don't miss TV's hottest show, Fire Country. This is a high-complexity rescue with a low chance of success. Follow the rules, then you shave another day off your sentence. Critics call it explosive and pure entertainment. I'm a fella. I'm not fit to be anything else. You're not an inmate. You're a firefighter. Bring it on. Fire Country. New episode Friday, 9, 8 central on CBS and now streaming on Paramount+. Plus.